Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you are listening from. This is the voice of A.B. Melchizedek, your servant, serving you all the way from the UK today. Um, our topic today is a bit of a detour. Um, some people may consider it a non-secular, but I assure you there is method to the madness. Um, that is because this story we are about to look at, to wit, um, the story of the rich young ruler. It is a story that sets in Christian denominations. And in fact, if I may be so bold as to name call, I would say particularly the Catholic Church has taken this interaction to mean that Jesus was endorsing the law of Moses and the Ten Commandments for Christians. So we are going to, if you like, examine this story. It's found in three portions of Scripture. It's found in Matthew 19, I believe 16 to 22. Is found in Mark 10, 17 through 22. And is found in Luke 18, 18 through 23. So uh, we are going to read all three accounts of this story because they each give us unique perspectives on this story and at the end of the day we are going to evaluate the veracity or the wise of that claim we are going to examine whether this interaction forms a solid foundation for advocating that Christians keep or adhere to the law of Moses. So I will start from Matthew 19, 16 through 22. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have it and life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not be a false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go, sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. We go to the Mark account, Mark 10, 17 through 22. 
Now, as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way. Sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. Luke 18th chapter 18 to 23. Now a certain ruler asked him saying, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell whatever you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. Now, what is the Catholic interpretation of this verse? And again, I mean, a cursory, perfunctionary look at it would seem to lend credence to the way they interpret it. So what they would say they will say um, that Jesus first gave the rich young ruler the law. And it was only after the rich young ruler had certified that he had kept the law that Jesus then told him, follow me. So the way they look at it, salvation now becomes a two-step kind of thing. So keep the law first, then follow Jesus. Keep the law first, then follow Jesus. That's the lesson they draw out of it. But before we even begin to look at the story in depth, we are going to make a couple of points. Number one point, remember, we have said in an earlier episode, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Have no other God before me. So we have made that point that the commandments begin with that preface of God being the God that brought the Jews out of the land of Egypt. And it was an authority of his bringing them out of Egypt through great and mighty signs, which they themselves were witnesses to, that he now gave them the commandment. So the covenant of the law 
was a covenant between God and the Jews, the people of Israel. So the first point is what was the ethnic affiliation of this so-called rich young ruler? And the answer is he was a Jew. How do I know that he was a Jew? First of all, Luke's accounts calls him a ruler. Is it a certain ruler asked him saying? A certain ruler asked him saying. So who was he a ruler over? He was a ruler over the Jews. What further lends credence to this assertion is the fact that Jesus and the man were dealing, their interaction shows that the law was a given. Because Jesus says, you know the commandments. And he says, I've kept it from my youth up. The law was given to who? Jews. So who would have had the law from their youth up a Jew. So again, we see that from this very po first point we've made, the assertion is shaking already because the rich young ruler was a Jew, and not all Christians, in fact, majority of the Christians today are not Jews. Secondly, Jesus had not died at the cross. And it was when he died at the cross, the law was fulfilled and could pass away. So, as at the time Jesus walked the earth, he walked the earth under the context of the law. So that's why most of the questions that they were bringing to him were questions regarding the law. Remember that rich, that uh, adulterous woman they brought to him. He said, Moses in the law ordered us to stone such a one. But what do you say? Remember the question of the Sadducees that don't believe in resurrection. They said, a man among us. That is a Moses in the law said, if a man dies, his brother should raise up a child in his name. So that's why a lot of the questions Jesus answered was in the context of the law, because the law was still in force before Jesus went to that cross. Remember Galatians 4, 4 when Paul was writing, he said, in the fullness of time, God sends his son, born of a woman, 
born under the law to redeem those who were of the law. So Jesus was born at a time and in a society where the law was still very much in force. So although he was the fulfillment of that law until he died on the cross, the law remained a valid covenant. And another very important point, because the rich young ruler was at the other end of the cross we christians or christianity started at the other end of the cross so we are on opposite ends of the cross so what is true before the cross what is valid before the cross is not necessarily valid after the cross Again, I know for some people in their heads, they're already thinking, okay, are you saying everything Jesus said in the Gospels, we should throw it away? Definitely not. And again, when we get to the uh, episode on how to interact with the Old Testament, we will touch a bit on this. But you are going to see that that sermon on the mount that Jesus gave, for instance, is a is a way for the Christian to check whether or not he's genuinely walking in love. Whether he's genuinely walking in love for God and in love for man. He says, love your enemies. He says, turn the other cheek. It says if you look at a woman lustfully, you are guilty of adultery. Those things are as true before the cross as it is after the cross. But there was a certain context in which Jesus made those statements, which even if we no longer have that context, they are still very instructive for us. Well, anyway, I mean, we will come to that um, in a later episode. I'm just letting people know I'm aware of how their minds may be working at this point in time and just assuring them that it will be addressed at some point in the season. So, the second point was that that was before the cross. Thirdly, in all of scripture, is, is it not interesting to note that that was the only person Jesus referred to the law? Jesus referred only one other person to the law of Moses, and we will look at we will look at the story of the person that Jesus referred to. And you'll see the story in Luke 10, 25 to 29. 
Luke 10, 25 to 29. It says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered him and said, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But he wanting to justify himself said, who is my neighbor? Now notice that this guy's motive from the get-go has been revealed that he was just testing Jesus. This was not somebody who was genuine about his salvation or was asking a heartfelt question. He was testing Jesus. And Jesus referred him to the law. So it would appear again that you know, one interesting thing about Jesus is that he always saw true people. He saw their motives. You know, he said, have I not chosen twelve of you and one of you is a devil? He says, why do you think such evil things in your heart? Which is easier to say. As Simon was thinking that, look, if this woman, if this man had known what kind of sinner this woman is, he wouldn't let her touch him. He said, Jesus answered him. So Jesus was always reading the minds of people and he could see through their motives. So every other person in scripture, Jesus never referred them to the law. Even people who were in breach of the law got healed by Jesus. For example, the leper that was in the camp. Under the law, the leper has no business being in the camp. I strongly believe, as I, you see that in Leviticus 14, I believe. It's a very massively long chapter. Either 13 or 14. But between 13 to 17, you see it. The leper was had no business being in the camp. But in Matthew 8, a leper was in the camp. Jesus healed him by touching him. The Syrophoenician woman who had no business with the law. Jesus healed her daughter. The uh, centurion servant was healed by Jesus. Zacchaeus, despite his notoriously shady reputation jesus dined with him not one mention of the law and zacchaeus received salvation and in all these cases jesus kept referring them to faith your faith has made you whole as you have believed so be it done unto you your faith has saved you. In fact, for the centurion servant, he said Jesus marveled and said he has not found such great faith even in Israel. So people were receiving from Jesus on the basis of one thing, faith. 
fifth. This region ruler constitutes the exception rather than the norm. Let's hold on to that thought. Now, there are other reasons why the logic of the law being a prerequisite for following Jesus doesn't hold up. First, all of Jesus' disciples, did any of them have a fantastic track record of keeping the law? Luke 5 verse 8 after Jesus performed that miracle on Peter's boat, what did Peter say? Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. So Peter, by his own admission, was sinful. And in fact, you, will see, you also see it in Peter's epistles where he was saying, you know, we've spent enough of our past life catering to the lusts of our flesh like the Gentiles. Let us now live the remainder of our days in submission to the will of God. And, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but if you look at First Peter uh, 4, 1 Peter 3 and 4, you will see that theme crop up over and over again. Say, we were once like them. You know, so Peter again was giving you glimpses into his sinful past, what life was like for him before he met Jesus. So clearly, he was not a righteous man. Matthew was a tax collector, an outcast, somebody that was a pariah, even to the Jews, on the same sitting as a prostitute to them. Or even worse, if not worse. Nathanael could not understand the fact that the Messiah will have anything to do with Nazareth. So he was not necessarily a man of a man that was, you know, in tune with the scriptures and the scriptures they had in those days were the law and the prophets. Judas was even a devil. John six verse seventy. But despite all of these shortcomings, all we know about James and John is that they were fishermen. In fact, at some point, Jesus called them Buanages, sons of thunder. You know, some people have said that that is because they were, they were angry, hot-tempered men, you know. But all we know about them is that they were fishermen. 
Yet Jesus still invited all of them to follow him with those words, follow me, follow me, follow me. Even those disciples that declined the invitation, those ones that were given excuses, it's the same thing Jesus told them. Follow me. I want to say, say, you know, uh, let me quickly go back to my family and say goodbye. And Jesus said, the person that puts his hands to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom. Another one said, uh, you know what, I will follow you, but let me go back and bury my dead father. I said, no, let the dead bury their own dead. Go down and preach the kingdom of God. So even those people, the invitations were extended to, there was no prerequisite of law given to them. And you can see this in Luke 9. I believe it's also in Matthew 9. No, I don't think it's Matthew 9. But you also see it in the book of Matthew. Those people whom Jesus was inviting to preach the gospel. And they were given excuse after excuse. I'm not sure I want to spend a lot of time searching for it. But you could go to Luke 9. I have found it. Matthew 8. Matthew 8. 18. To 22. And then you can also look at Luke 9. Towards the end of Luke 9. You'll see that there also. So again, this rich young ruler, it was a unique case. It wasn't... It wasn't anything to do with the law as the first step and then Jesus as the next step. Because as you would see, and as we discussed earlier anyway, the Gentiles were told not to keep the law. That was a decision of the early church in Acts 15, which we looked at at reasonable length in the previous episode. Another reason that this will not make much sense is that the Bible is clear that Jesus died for the world. For the entire world. John 3, 16, 16, For God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish will have eternal life. John 1.29, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. First John 2, 1-2 said, My little children, these things I write to you that you do not sin. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who is the reputation for our sins and not for us only, but also for the whole world. Now, why am I emphasizing the whole world? 
because this whole world includes Gentiles who never had the law at any point. Remember the difference between Jew and Gentile? Key difference was that God was dealing with the Jews on the basis of the commandments he gave to them through Moses. So, if following Jesus was the second requirement after obeying the law, then it would be impossible for the Gentiles to follow Jesus. Because the issue is, as at the time Jesus dies on the cross, the Gentiles come into the picture. Remember our discussion on privity of contracts in the last episode? As at the time Jesus dies on the cross, the Gentiles come into the picture. But by the time they come into the picture, the same death that brings them into the picture abolishes the law. So the Gentiles and the law never met each other. So if the law is a prerequisite to following Jesus, at best Jesus died for just the Jews, and that worst, Jesus' death was totally useless because nobody could keep the law satisfactorily in the first place. Remember, by the deeds of the law, no one will be justified. So if keeping the law does not justify you, that means you can never be justified enough to follow Jesus based on that logic. And if you cannot be justified enough to follow Jesus, then Jesus died for nothing. Because that first step is impossible to fulfill. So if nobody can fulfill the first step of following the law, nobody can follow Jesus. And if nobody can follow Jesus, Jesus died for nothing. Or at best, he died for just the Jews. Because the Jews are the ones who had that law. the prerequisite of which it would be, or um, the prerequisite of keeping it would be applicable to, since they are the ones who had it. Now we go to the story of the rich young ruler proper. Why could this man have been referred to the law? Again, bearing in mind that the only other person Jesus referred to the law had improper motives. I was not really genuine. I dare say this man was also not genuine. And there are some pointers which we would look at. Now, notice. Even from the question he asks, you can see his you can see how his mind works. You know one, one the downside to being rich is 
you are you have so assimilated this mentality of quid pro quo something goes for something if you want something done you have to do something if you want something in return you have to do something nothing is free kind of mentality which in a sense i mean is a good thing but when it comes to matters of salvation and jesus and grace that becomes a horrible attitude to have because jesus is a gift and the only thing you can do with a gift is to accept it salvation is a gift the spirit of god is a gift remember simon the sorcerer act 8 he tried to buy the gift of god with money and peter really tongue lashed him and said your money perish with you your money perish with you your money perish with you So that was the mentality of these guys. Hey, what good thing, if you look at Matthew's account, what good thing must I do? You hear the question? What good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? So he had seen inheriting eternal life as a walk. He wanted to walk his way to this thing. He didn't want to be given anything he says look I, I pay my way through what price must i pay to merit eternal life and you see the way jesus answers him Jesus answers him with the commandments. Because ideally, those are, if you want to walk for your salvation, the works you have to do are the works of the law. But again, we have discussed over and over that even those works that you can never really do those works because even doing that will not justify you. But I mean, if the man wanted to walk, Jesus gave him a walk, the law. Do not kill. Do not commit adultery. Do not note Jesus gave him the if you like the more blatant ones you know the bigger portions of the law and then jesus and then the man answered he said look all these things i have kept from my youth do you see the problem with that statement number one Obviously, he had kept the ones Jesus was mentioning. 
murder, adultery, and all of that, and of which that is still debatable. Remember, murder if you are angry with your brother without a cause. Or if you look at a woman who lost over her, those are murder and adultery. So it's not until you actually stab somebody or you actually sleep with somebody outside wedlock that you are guilty of those things. But this guy said he has kept all these things. So by implication, he has said he has been keeping the law. So the problem with this is if you are keeping the law, why are you still not sure you have eternal life? If you have been keeping the law, why are you still crying that you still want to do? Are, are those things in your heart, are those works not enough to satisfy you that if you die at that moment, you are going to enter into life? If you indeed have kept all these things, then why are you having this conversation with Jesus? And look at what Jesus does. He tells him, and remember Mark's account. He said Jesus looking at him loved him. It's out of love for the man Jesus told him this. Sell everything you have, come and follow me. And the man refused. Do you now see the issue? What is the first commandment? Have no other God before me. This man couldn't keep that first commandment. So this man that has been saying, look, he loves... He has been keeping all the commandments. He, you know, the first commandments, I've no other God before me, he couldn't keep it. Because his riches, his wealth, those were his gods. And Jesus exposed, brought that to the fore. So when left with a choice of God or his earthly possessions, he chose his earthly possessions. So it was a question of motives. It was not Jesus laying a precedence that, oh, you know, keep the law first and then come and follow me. No, that was just his interaction with this one man. And in this interaction, we can see that the man really... Yeah, though he was not as genuine or as desperate as he seemed for the things of God. He came wanting to pay his way, wanting to end salvation. And again, that is, is the exact same question that the other guy that Jesus referred to the law asked. That one asked, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That's the guy that was uh, tempting Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus told him, 
referred him to the law also. So the rich young ruler also was asking what could be done to inherit eternal life. And Jesus referred him to the law also. So we see it's the, it's the way they were thinking. The first guy tempting Jesus, wanted to do something. The second guy was looking for a work to do. He wanted to pay his way through. So Jesus refers him to the law also. But compare this with the question the jailer asked. The Philippian jailer, I believe, asked Peter and Paul, Peter, um, Paul and Silas. He says, Sir, and this is Acts 16, verse 30. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You see it? So one is asking, what should I do to inherit eternal life? I want to work for it. Another recognizes he cannot work for it. He says, what should I do to be saved? One recognizes he needs to be saved. Another one reckons he can inherit it. He can deserve it. And what was the answer they gave to the jailer? says believe the lord jesus christ but what was the answer to the first question keep the commandment so as long as you think you can inherit the answer is to keep the commandments and that's what you are going to keep doing till you have that act and uh, that Romans 7 experience which we have talked about and then you reach the point of oh wretched man that i am who will save me from this body of death? And it's at that point you ask that question, what should I do to be saved? That the answer becomes, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. The rich young ruler filled it with diving colors. And this was a man that wanted to attain salvation. So you see, as long as you think salvation is, uh, is attainable, there will always be something you lack you know jesus said one thing you lack there will always be something you lack as long as you think you can please god by doing this by doing that even if you pray for 15 days you could have prayed for 16 days you know many times people say oh man i don't think i don't think i'm spending enough time with god you know i, I think it's my i don't think i'm spending enough time with god i don't think i'm reading my bible enough i don't think and you know i sympathize with that with that um sentiment i really do because it's something i myself do feel sometimes and struggle with but the question is really can you spend enough time with god can you read your bible enough can you evangelize enough? Can you pray enough? It doesn't matter how many hours you read your Bible in a day. You could have read it for more. 
Doesn't matter how many hours you pray in a day, you could have prayed for more. Doesn't matter how long you fast, you could have fasted for more. So as long as your mentality is a performance mentality, you will always be aware of shortcomings. You will always be aware. There will always be this one thing you lack. And it reminds me of my house when I was growing up, you know. It was a relatively big house, and obviously we don't have servants, so we do all the cleaning ourselves. No matter how much you clean the house, there is always something to do. You, there is no way you can clean that house satisfactorily. There is always something left to do. And there are few things more annoying than when you've done 1,000 things and it's the one thing you don't do that people in the house are complaining about. You've swept the house, you've swept upstairs, you've swept downstairs, you've cleaned all the toilets, you've mopped the kitchen, you've washed the clothes, you've dusted the fans, you've cleaned the windows, you've watered the flowers outside. And then somebody says, look, the car is dirty. What have you been doing? You, you didn't wash these cars? So all the things you've been doing are nonsense. It's that car you didn't wash that becomes the problem. That is the law for you. It's very quick to point out your shortcomings. The areas you are performing well, it doesn't care. It's that one area of lack, that one area of inadequacy, it highlights. And that's why Jesus told the man, one thing you lack. Another account, he says, if you would be perfect, go and do this. Follow me. Sell everything you have. Follow me. That's how to be perfect. Follow me. And the man could not, showing you where his heart was. So all the man's crying and running and shouting was just a mere show. He was not serious. Because if he was as desperate as he, the act he put up seemed to portray, selling his possessions would have been a piece of cake. And another lesson we can glean from this is it's harder to follow Jesus than to keep the law. <laughs> well, this is something we will be exploring. Not sure it's this season, but definitely we are going to see that because the law of Christ, remember our conversation in the last episode? says to those who to the jews i became as a jew to those under the law i became as under the law to those without the law i became as without the law not without the law of god, not without law unto god but under the law of christ so the law of christ is a real thing and it's far greater far superior to even the law of moses so as long as that guy kept deceiving himself that he could and eternal life and he could perform he was relatively fine but when the true test came 
Sell everything you have and live by faith in me. Come and follow me. Sell all those things you are depending on. The man could not. Anyway, so at this junction, I hope we've done. Um, a decent job in discussing this issue. If you don't, if you don't take anything away from this, you can take away the fact that this story was not and is not meant to convey the fact that there is a prerequisite to keep the law before following Jesus Christ because that would negate the entirety of Jesus Christ's ministry and it would render his death completely pointless all right on that note remember life is short in the context of eternity nothing matters except what you do for God and his kingdom Remember, not bound by the law of Moses, but under the law of Christ. And we will expound on this later. Take care.